Hello, friends. This is Taver Lee, and you are listening to Grit and Grace. We are here for soul-level conversations that will take us across the veil in mystical and magical ways. I invite you to leave what you know at the door, open your heart, and receive. If you want to find out more information, make sure you go to moontempleschool.com. And now let's get started. I am back with another solo episode to talk about something that is so fun for me. This whole idea of creating altars and discussing sacred space is a big part of my practice. It's a big part of all of my students' practices. And if you've been in any classes or any circles with me, you know that altars are one of my hobbies, one of my passions. And I believe that that's because it's about creation. It's about the process of creating something that is devotional, that is energetic, that creates alignment, that brings, honestly, peacefulness for me in my practice and my rituals. It's also a place where many people go to meditate, to find clarity, to cast spells, to create connection, to honor the directions and the elements, or even to do your work in a protected space. So today we're talking everything alters. <laughs> and I laugh because there are so many layers to this and I will give you as much as I can in the short period of time. But please understand that there are many layers and ways to approach it. And there's not a single way that's right or correct. These are just some options for you to think about if you want to create your own sacred space of any type. And historically, if we think about the sacred spaces that exist on this planet or locations, it could be within cities or certain countries, there have always been an increase of energy in certain places compared to others. And this is where the original altars would be made. They were outside in structures or in trees or within a tribe's main communal area as a way to gather, congregate, respect, honor, create, cook. All of the things that used to be done completely outdoors is where altars really created. Like that was the beginning of altars. And I know that for many of you listening you probably have sacred space outside as well, if possible. Not all of us have access to our own lands or our own space outside, but it could even be a tree that you pass. In fact, there is, there's one place near where I'm at that I love to walk my dog, and I call it the sister trees. I go visit the sister trees. There are two trees that... Mm, We've guessed somewhere between 300 and 350 years old, and they're intertwined in their root system and the way that they grow when they're in bloom, it creates like a tunnel between the two of them. And I consider that an altar that I go to when I desire connection or communication with the trees. I love this particular space and I, I don't get there often, but it is an example of how to me, it's a place that I can go to satisfy that need for sacred space, but it's not in my home. It's public. It's not mine. I don't own it. Yet there is an energy that I feel when I'm there and it's sacred to me. 
So altars can be many things in many places for many reasons. And yet one of the commonalities that we should discuss when talking about altars is that it's a process, not a product. Most of us actually already create altar space without even realizing it. So you know how on your mantle or on a shelf, you put a collection of photos of your family, maybe something that someone gave you is displayed because you love it and it represents something that they gifted to you or maybe it's something that you found. It could even be on your desk. You might have something to make you feel good. Just It could be a plant or a flower or a statue or a, a photo. All of these things are truly the basis of what it means to create an altar. It's a process of creating sacred space with intention. And even the parts of our homes where we put collectibles and photos that are not necessarily what we would consider an altar, they likely are a sacred space to you because it contains something sacred. Contains something sacred. So some examples of altars that I have helped others build over many, many, many years, periods, and times are altars such as healing altars, altars representing love, altars for projects, work, or careers, and altars for ritual space. I mean, in mystery school, we do a lot of rituals. So one of the fundamental practices we talk about is creating your own sacred space to do your rituals. And we'll talk about a whole bunch of different ways you can do that and examples on how to build it. But it it could be as fancy as an entire table of devotional uh, space, or it could be a shoebox with one or two things in it that you keep tucked in underneath your desk at work that maybe never actually sees the light of day, but you know that it's there and it brings an energetic alignment for you while you're at work. And there are ancestral altars. There are journey space altars. There, are, I've created several altars when I'm working on a writing project, and they evolve. <laughs> Do they ever evolve? If you've ever embarked on writing a book or some type of very long written piece, it evolves. And so altars commonly evolve in time. There are countless ways, reasons, and intentions to create an altar. I like to think of it as any cycle, transition, or process that you desire. An altar can be something you can create to support you in what it is that you are creating. I just recently helped someone create an altar for a friend that passed away. They were, you know, there's the, the traditional funeral was taking place and they wanted to do something really special to honor this spirit that has passed over to the other side of the veil. And in fact, they desired to receive communication from them that they're still here, that they're still with them. So we talked through all the different ways to create a devotional space to recognize and love this particular friend. And it was so beautiful to see how naturally it unfolded. And this space for this particular person is so powerful because every day, whether they're riding the waves of grief or riding the waves of gratitude, that there is a place that they can go and touch tangible things and offer the vibration of love from their heart. And it's, it's such a beautiful practice. 
and this can be done in your home. This can be done uh, in a portable way. This can be done in, in many ways. And most, most times, we don't actually need to go and buy stuff to create an altar. In fact, I would tell you that things that you buy that are new, that don't have uh, a lot of your own energy or others' energy that you're bringing into the space, they don't, they're often devoid of that energy that makes an altar so special. Most of the time, we can find what we need for our altar by making it or we already have it somewhere. And don't forget, if you buy something new or even something used, it probably has energy in it from the people that touched it to from distribution centers to the manufacturing to the store that was selling it and to the delivery driver. Whoever has touched that item could have put some energy into it. So I'm going to recommend that you clear any energy from something new that you're bringing into your altar. And sometimes, well, oftentimes I reuse things in different altars and I always clear and cleanse the item if it was used for something specific and I didn't want that energy coming into the new altar. And it might be the same photo, it could be the same stone, it could be the same keepsake, it could be anything that's the same. But if my intention of that creative process for that altar is different, I will I will clear it and I will bless it and consecrate it with my own energy or the energy that I desire it to have for its use on my altar. So let's talk about some of the most commonly asked questions. Number one, what direction do I set up my altar? <laughs> and it's, it's funny because a lot of people feel that they need to actually set up their altar facing the north, or if they put an item representing earth to the north, that it needs to be on the direction of whatever space they're choosing to the north. I invite you to think of any time that you face your altar as the north. Let your altar be a reflection of what north means to you. And so if you want to work with directions, which is common to work with the elements in each direction on your altar, you may wish to have something representing earth to the north, something representing air to the east, something representing fire to the south, and something representing water to the west. Again, there's countless ways to do that. It can be actual items. I mean, earth can be anything that is related to earth, and it can even just be something that's colored with earth. It can be something fresh. It can be something ancient, but anything that represents earth to you. And to the east, when you look at air, you know, traditional ways of representing air can be incense. It can be things that are associated to your breath. It can be things associated to your mind. It can be feathers, something related to birds, anything that's air. And if you really think about it, most of the things that we already have in our home will fall into one of these categories. And it is interchangeable to what feels right for you. And to the south, it's quite funny for those of us that work with the directions in our uh, altars. If I'm facing an al if if I face my altar, which I do, to me north is me facing the altar, and so on the south then is the area of the space that's closest to my physical body. So knowing that the south is fire, oftentimes people actually try to put their candle to the south, which is really close to your body. And for those of you that wear flowy clothes or have long hair, you got to be careful if you're putting fire to the south. I invite you to think of other things that represent fire. 
like the sun, heat, anything that's related to passion, choice, sovereignty, desire, that is all in the category and the element of fire. So anything to the south can represent fire. It doesn't necessarily have to be real fire. For me, this is just my practice. I put fire in the middle because to me that represents the spirit. So I put fire in the middle, not to mention I have long hair. And so if I'm leaning over my altar ever, I am very careful to make sure that the fire is in the middle and not on the south because, you know, long hair and fire don't go together so well. And then to the west, water. You can go the traditional route of using any type of water and chalice. That is a a classical way to represent the element of water. But there are other ways you can represent water. Water can be anything that represents flow to you. It can be anything that represents the divine feminine if you are working with divine feminine energy. It can be... um, Lots of people that are using actual water can use holy water. If you want to know how to make holy water, jump into the high priest, high priestess path. We work on holy water a lot, work with and on. It can be anything that's liquid that represents your intention. It can also be something that comes from any source of water. It can be even a flower, right, that is blooming because of water. There's lots of ways to think of water as flow, as your blood, as how your body moves through the world. Countless ways, countless ways. So that's if you're covering the directions. Now, I want to just come back to the north is earth, south is fire. Depending on your path and tradition, some paths and traditions have the north representing fire and the south representing earth. You honor what you know to be true in my practice and in Moon Temple Mystery School, we honor the North as Earth. Although I have initiated in several different paths that have that reversed, but that is the tradition that feels most aligned for me. And it's interesting because if we think back to when a lot of these different paths and initiations were created, oftentimes the North and the South determination of Earth versus fire came from how close you were to the equator. So if you resided in a location or your lineage did thousands of years where the equator was to the North, you would view fire to the North. If the equator was South, you would view fire to the South. So thinking about ancient times and where that came from, which again, you you can decide what works for you. Another common question is colors. What colors to use on your altar? Now, altars can be permanent spaces that you use for prayer, energy, alignment, peacefulness, meditation, clarity, connection, direction, protection, all the things. But you can also have temporary altars. In fact, I probably have no less than five altars in my home at any given time. And if I travel, I have the supplies to very quickly put together an altar wherever I am. And they are always a little bit different and they're changing because it's about creation, not product. So they're constantly changing to that moment. And so colors can be a variety of things. And, you know, do your research. Look at what colors represent different emotions, different intentions. And if you're creating a temporary altar, you may wish to work with one specific color, uh, even on an altar cloth, like something that goes underneath the items on your candles, on what color piece of construction paper you use, if you use paper. There's lots of different ways. So do your research on colors and it can coincide and work together as much as you want it to do. And I always say that use your body's wisdom on what color feels right to you 
more than you use the charts that you're going to Google and find. Because for you, if red represents blood, like the depth of deep, dark shadow work, then work with red. Although traditionally, red would have more to do with passion and um, fire, right? The heightened states of energy that we are calling in. But if it represents blood to you, use red. Traditionally, if we're doing deep, dark shadow work, most people would work with black. And I think that some people like blue with shadow work because to them, it represents the light that they're shining on their shadows. So you can see how the colors can actually change depending on the meaning that they have for you. So I invite you to do your research on the colors and create your own chart at what works for you. It may or may not align with what's you know, tradition has been, and it doesn't matter. You can do whatever you want. Use the colors to your benefit because your alignment with what you create is what matters, not what the Googles tell you that you should do. Okay. And then another common question is where should I put my altar? And this has several factors to consider. Number one, do you have other people around that you want to see your altar or do you want it to be private? There are lots of traditions that encourage you to keep your entire altar secret. And I believe that comes from, right, fear, fear that people will know that you are practicing something that they don't understand and might trigger a reaction if you have a lot of people coming in and out of your home. So think about, think about if you want your altar to be public or if you want it to be private. And I also invite you to think about, do you have young children or animals that can get into your altar? If you have a cat that likes to climb... (laughs) And you have, you know, your entire altar surrounded by white candles and your cat can knock them over. Because I have a very, very, very good friend whose cat likes to knock stuff over. So a burning candle would potentially be possible to be knocked over. So thinking about, you know, what is around in the environment where you want to set up something sacred for yourself. And then think about once you have those covered and you have an idea of if you want it to be private, is this temporary? Do you have an intention? Or do you just want to play with creating an altar. Maybe you're just going to create one because you've never made one before and you just want to see how it feels. So find a space. Find a space that's safe, that is either private or not private if you desire it to be. And then find a location. You can put it in a box. You can put it on a table. You can put it on a nightstand. You can put it on any surface that you have that resonates for you. I invite you to think of an altar cloth that usually goes over the space underneath the items you put as whatever cloth is sacred to you. You can buy fancy ones. You can make fancy ones. You can use right now, actually, my main altar underneath it is a shirt from a location that I love to be at. So that shirt is the anchor of my entire altar. And I'm doing my best to not drip candle wax on it because I do desire to wear that shirt again. But for now, it's anchoring my space with joy and pleasure every time I pass by it, just by knowing that that shirt is holding that energy. You may have material, leftover material. And you know what? You may not have any of those things and you need to procure or purchase Uh, some type of altar cloth. And I invite you to look locally if you can, find a local store or even a local seamstress or a local uh, material store and, and purchase what you desire. Or of course, used stores, secondhand stores, they're really good to find special things to use on your altar. I One of my most favorite things to use for altar cloths are scarves. 
and that's because I've worn them and so they have my energy on them. But it does get a little dicey sometimes because I work with a lot of candles and so I'm I'm trying not to drip too much candle wax on them. It's a constant problem in my altar space. But do what's best for you. But I do invite you to cleanse the surface, like physically, like clean it, wash it, soap and water, whatever product you use, wash it. Clear it with whatever tools you use to clear, whether it's sage, lavender, mugwort, incense, sprays, whatever you have, energetically clear the space and then place your altar cloth. Now, even just doing that alone is going to start the creation process for you. You are identifying a space in your home, in your vicinity, or in your office, or in your car, that you are dedicating to something that matters to you, whether it's an intention, a project, or just a prayer space. And then from there, people will commonly ask, what do I put on my altar? And here's where the creation matters. You put on your altar whatever the fuck you want, whatever is aligned with you in the moment. Sometimes I like to have a lot of my grandparents' stuff on my altar because I know that I'm so supported by them. And sometimes I don't. If it's a writing altar and I'm writing about witchcraft, I'm probably not going to bring my, my grandparents into that particular altar. Instead, I might work with a deity or what I believe the ancestral witches that give me messages look like, feel like, something that represents them. So it it, it doesn't always have to be the same. And I also like to think of the places where my family gathers the most, like our kitchen table, our kitchen, you know, like counters or coffee tables. I like to create small spaces in each of those areas that just represent love, that represent good communication and love. And I add special things to that space. And actually, I don't even honor the directions in those places. I put the things um, of all of ours or something that just represents my family and it creates an, an immediate energetic change in that space. So again, lots to play with here. You can create special occasion altars. If you have a holiday coming, a birthday coming, I recently know someone who had a, a 40th birthday and I wasn't near him at the time to celebrate with him. So I actually created an altar to celebrate his birthday, just sending love and kindness. And for an entire 12 hour period, I burned a specific candle to just express my gratitude to the spirit world for this human's existence. Lots of ways. It can even be the tough times. If you're going through a challenging time, a healing altar is one of the most powerful things that you can create, no matter what type of healing you're going through. It creates intention, safety, and love for the process of transformation. You may also wish to have a specific altar to a deity, a god or a goddess that you're working with. Or if you, you know, are really in the process of still exploring what God means to you, you may create a Jesus or a Yeshua altar and honor the fact that there was this ascended master who, even if you follow the Bible or don't follow the Bible or go to church, don't go to church, but Yeshua still talks to you or Mary Magdalene, feel free to create special little places to just create an exchange of energy with that deity. I remember, I think it was right at the very beginning of the pandemic, I was doing a lot of work with ISIS and I hadn't really determined how I wanted to express 
my half of what I believe are relationships. When you're working with deities, it's a two-way street. So I, I didn't know how to express my half of that relationship yet. And I asked the question aloud. And then, of course, I all the items just randomly appeared. It ended up the base of it was a massive piece of tree bark that fell off my front tree, like big enough to be the altar itself. And then all of these beautiful things and blue and white started coming into my field and my vision around my home. And I put them together as a way to say thank you to Isis. And it was it was really small and it was so powerful. And I, I sat with it and I, because it was on a piece of bark, I actually moved it with me when I went around the house. It was probably a couple of months that I had Isis with me and it was one of my most favorite altars and it came together in a <laughs> wild and magical way. And I had no idea what that particular deity desired or wanted. But then I remembered that we, we know, we know, and it was for me. And so I created that space. So you can create devotional spaces to the gods and goddesses that you're working with. And oftentimes, when you're working in a devotional altar, you might want to bring an offering to your altar for whoever you're working with. In fact, this is the same for ancestors, guides, gods, goddesses, deities, whatever you want. Offerings are really special. When I'm working with dark goddesses or dark gods, I will almost always have on the west side of my altar a type of liqueur or some type of alcohol to represent my gratitude to them. And it is it is often a really beautiful practice. <laughs> Funny enough, I, I have even completed my own ritual cleanse with the liqueur that is on my altar for that dark god or goddess because it felt like they wanted to become closer with me. So I would use it as a ritual cleanse. And it's really a beautiful practice. So do your research, right? Look up historically what you can find for a deity or a god or a goddess, what they like in offerings, and then take what resonates because you're going to find a variety of things if you're researching what is right. You know, for example, you'll hear a lot about Hecate and keys and keeping her keys and how to represent Hecate and she likes this and she likes that. And if you want to work with Hecate and get a message from her, you need to do it this way and that way. But you know what? If that doesn't resonate for you, don't do that because Hecate wants you to represent yourself. And so if you're going to create an altar for Hecate, she does not want you to create what other people think you should. She wants you to create what you think you should. Research just gives you a baseline to start your thinking and your creation process to have an open door. <laughs> it's the time where you let your imagination run with you. Other things that come up is what happens. I mean, this is so common. This is such a common question. What happens to an altar when you're done with it? Or what if it's just been there for like two months the same way? You're not really utilizing it. What do you do with all the stuff that you've collected? And my invitation is cleanse it and return it back to its home, wherever that is. If that's in a box that you keep, if it's back to the earth, if it's to burn it in a fire, if it's to give it away, return it back to where its home is. And only you can determine what that is. I do a lot of handwritten intentions when I do candle magic, which there's almost always candle magic going on my altar. And those handwritten intentions, I often burn them um, and I actually collect them for the year and burn them at the end of the year because I go through all of the work I've done for the year and take away any pieces that I want to take notes of and add it to my journal or my grimoire and then I'll burn them. 
But sometimes if I'm doing big workings, especially for others, I'll bury them or release them not on my property. I'll take them somewhere else as long as they're biodegradable and we'll give it back to the earth. So it depends for me on whether or not the altar has been for me or for others that I'm working with. And as if you're listening to this podcast, you know, in mystery school, when I'm holding big spaces for others, I'm creating full altars for the space that I'm holding. And oftentimes it's the same items that for me have the energy of holding space for someone else. And if I'm going to use something again, I will physically wash it if it's washable. I will energetically clear it. I worked with a selenite wand a couple of times this last year. That that selenite wand has gotten its full use this year. And it's been washed. It's been in the ocean. It's been buried in the earth. And it is still charged and ready to work. So I'm bringing it into a lot of my altars because there is an alignment that I have with that particular uh, stone right now. So so know your items. Know, know, know what you have, know what you desire to keep and what you desire to not keep. If you're working with things that are disposable in your altar, you're going to know if it needs to be released or kept. You decide. You totally get to decide. I will recommend that anything that is representative of a big release or a transmutation, or if it's a Uh, carries a heavy amount of grief that you give it some time back to the earth to come back to neutral. Okay. So altars, ultimately your altars are going to change alongside you, whether or not it's a permanent altar or a temporary one that you're working for a specific project, let your altar transform with you. Things can come and go And it does require cleaning regularly. Don't let your altar get dusty, right? Maybe if the altar gets dusty, your intentions for what you had created there might also get dusty. So keep it clean, keep it fresh. I always will invite you to bring something fresh from the earth onto your altar as a way to rejuvenate it or recharge it. If you're doing any type of big spells or you have spell jars or bowls or rituals going on, Touch them often, put your energy into it and allow it to transform with you. Okay, I think that that's probably enough for today on altars. I am going to tell you though that if you want to like hand by hand, like in person with me, well, not in person because it's digital. That's funny. In person, if you want to work with me to create your altar, join the Witch's Apprentice because this is where I walk people through step by step on creating very specific altars that are related to their intentions. So whatever it is that you desire coming this year, or even as we get closer towards the end of 2022, I'll be casting wheels for all the students for 2023. We will create specific altars for the process itself of casting our 2023 wheel and what items to bring into our 2023 altar that support our intentions. So it doesn't matter what you desire or what you're creating or what you want most out of this life. An altar can support that for you. And remember, it's an extension of you. You are the altar. You are the magic. Your body is always the original altar. You don't need stuff to create magic because that's you. An altar is a place to go and experience the magic you already have within you. I hope this is helpful and I look forward to seeing you in mystery school soon. Thank you for joining us today. 
on any of your favorite listening apps, we would really appreciate a rating and review. And if you're looking for more information, make sure that you go to moontempleschool.com and you can find us there. 